0: Hey everyone, welcome to Darkcast Interviews. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. GCI is a long form interview podcast where we talk to game creators about who they are and their work behind the scenes, as well as, obviously, their recent or upcoming video games. In this episode, I talk to Andrea Interguiami about Not to Crawl 20,000 Atmospheres, a new game that combines dungeon-crawler aspects with roguelike elements such as procedural generation and permadeath, as well as escape room gameplay and a strong steampunk aesthetic. For more information about the game, check out the links in the description below on YouTube or in the show notes for this episode on DarkStation.com. There you can also find the original Darkcast as well as other video game reviews, previews and features. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at Darkstation underscore com, find us on Facebook, check us out on YouTube, and email us at podcasts at darkstation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. to Darkcast interviews everybody i'm jonathan miley joining me today is well actually uh on steam and everything um the developer is just your name you don't have like a, a studio name or anything yeah like um
1: so apparently i'm riding a trend and i didn't that's, know about it that's um, <laughs> so there was like straight after I I took this decision. I'm usually the one, the, the the kind of person, surname of course, that hides behind the brand, and I've been doing it before on other kind of um, I'm gonna totally screw up this word entrepreneurship. Yeah, um, no, that's oh okay, awesome. Um uh, <laughs> So yeah, I've been doing other kind of operations scale from you know small games to whatever and every time I try to brand myself like you know something that I'm not which is a brand I'm, I'm not a brand yeah. and I think uh, what's cool about um, this time we're living in right now um, is true for games It's true for uh, clothing Everything, um, small individuals putting putting themselves up front in the brand is actually working because people are, you know, um, surrounded by a lot of brands, um, one louder than the other. And so it's actually turning out to be a good thing when somebody is just, you know, talking quietly about the stuff that he's doing, humbly, and because that reflects how I am, like, I'm not the loud, I mean, I'm loud, I'm I'm Southern Italian, so I'm loud by definition and nature, but I'm not a loud person, I mean, not in the sense of trying to, you know, outspeak other people, um, so, yeah, it's, I really wanted this time to not be scared about what people think about a weird surname like mine which, by the way, it's weird, even in Italian. Um, (laughs) Many people in Italy do have a hard time saying it. So it's not just something that doesn't work abroad. It's one of the very few surnames that doesn't work in my home country as well. First time that I decide to actually not hide behind the brand. And then after a few days of me taking this this decision, I read an article where I not remember we who who wrote it. Which um, blog was it from? But basically, he said, "Hey, latest trend on user brand. You know, we we are surrounded with brands, and it's actually nice if you use your name for a change. Uh, don't be scared." I think maybe it was a talk, a GDC or something like that. But it was actually very encouraging because it was listing. Uh, the good intentional um, reasons why I was doing that. So nothing too, uh, you know, greedy marketing related as opposed to just be honest. I mean, basically you're communicating your honesty from the very beginning, which is not putting up front a brand, which is, of course, it doesn't mean that anybody that is using a brand name is not as honest as I am. It's just just a way of... of um, starting, um, with that premise. So I liked the idea and for as brave as you can be with my surname. Um, that's, that's where I'm going. That's so, awesome. yeah.
0: Uh, that, that's really cool that actually, I mean, uh, like you said, there are a number of people out there that are kind of doing that now. Um, and I don't know. Yeah. Honesty, I think works, but, um, it's, I don't know. It's kind of like a, a vulnerability, Sort of thing, which I guess to be honest, you have to be vulnerable, so those kind of go hand in hand. But you know, when when you say a studio name, you think of uh, a team, at least like a duo of people making a thing. And when it's your name, it's just it's just kind of you out there being like, this is the thing I'm making. Um, Yeah. It's scary, and as you said, that's the other reason
1: why I didn't want to use a brand is because usually once you start having a brand name, you also start talking plural, right? and that's something that I cannot stand anymore. I want to talk personal. You know, I've been part of other companies. I had to speak for these companies, and I always name. Um, I'm not alone, um, luckily for me, on Nautical because I have the good guys at Armor Games behind all of this supporting me um, as a publisher so it's not entirely a solo operation but at the same time um, it's me and whenever I talk about my own stuff I don't have to use the plural and pretend that there's a factory of Andreas behind mm-hmm. you know <laughs> in, another, in another room doing all their cool things because there's none of that it's just me really and that's it <laughs>
0: Very cool. How, how did the relationship with armor games come about? Uh, I've talked to a couple people that have used them as a as a publisher, you know, distributor for the game. But in my mind, they're still just a website that does flash games, even though I know they're not. That's still what's stuck in my head. Uh, so uh-huh. how did, how did that come about? Did they seek you out? Did you seek them out? Yeah, um, well, I'll I'll tell you how it came about. But first, um,
1: I want to shout super loud how awesome they've been all along. From the start up until uh, these very last few, um, you know, um, tasks that we're putting up for the game release. Um, They've been awesome all around, really. Um, And, yeah, it's a shame that, um, well the word goes forward and we are moving past the the flash games era uh, we all know that and they had a big um, a big role in that period of time and I think well uh, of course they're trying to you know um, get past that because you know flash is, is no more but um, I think uh, I think it, it's not gonna take them too long before they will get recognized um for being just, you know, on top of what's happening right now. Because with me and as far as I can tell with the other devs, they are showing to be perfectly, you know, aware of what's happening right now. They don't seem to be like coming out of a past era and now just Trying to reinvent themselves as opposed to just sticking to the name they had before, but completely aware of what needs to be done now. Uh, so I really hope they're going to do that jump as soon as possible and get recognized because to me, I mean, I haven't worked with other um, publishers in a long, long time. Uh, that will bring us back to how it was to meet them uh, when we initially started i'll get back to this in a second but um yeah it's i think um from the from an outside perspective um looking at other big publishers um publishing um cool games right now you know the the well-known names like devolver uh digital i kind of guess because of course I haven't worked with Devolver but I, I'm I'm gonna say that they are just a school. It's just that they have these um history behind them that right now is um is of course making people think of you know flash gains so on it's no more. So what is Armor gonna do now? Actually I think they are very, very actual and they're moving in the right direction. So hopefully um will see their name along with, uh, with the with other cool kids um pretty soon well that's that's probably already happening but you know um recognized for what they're doing which is really cool and i'm saying that because they they took a bit risk with nauticroll and i can see from the library that uh they keep on taking risks with many other small de- developers so that's definitely not what a publisher was in my previous experience. Uh, which brings us back to how I got to know them. Um, should I go with that? Yeah, absolutely. Oh? Okay. okay, so um, the premise is that I used to make games a long, long time ago. I'm 37 years old, and I started making games for the Game Boy. Uh, with um, some other kids back then. Uh, and I used to, they were older than me, my my um, partners, uh, but, and I used to tag along with them when we went to uh, gaming conventions to speak with the publishers. And maybe because I was very young, uh, barely 18, uh, maybe because that's how it was back then. But talking to a publisher was extremely scary. Like, we're talking dudes in a suit trying to. Um, I and this might sound sad, but it, it's. I, I think that's the game they were playing, trying to kind of diminish the work that you're doing as a as an independent developer. We're talking back when independent developer wasn't even a thing. Like We were indies, but we didn't know it because this term was around. So fast forward a few years, my curiosity um, goes on to um, special effects and movies. So I completely diverged after a, a brief experience in Lionhead Studios in UK. I really wanted to see um, how it was to work in the movies. So basically, I left the game designer career behind for a number of years.
0: Okay. Can I, can I pause you for just a second? Sure. Since you worked at Lionhead and you wanted to work on the movies, did you, did you get to work on the movies at the movies? Lionhead?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were working on that right when I was there. They were, those were the years of Fable 2, Black and White 2, they were doing great, great stuff. Um, And I was just humbled to be among some scary good people. Um, Some of them are still friends, some of them, I regret never knowing, uh, like Alex Evans, working at Media Molecule, well, founding, Media Molecule, Um, I'm all over what they're doing with Dreams for PS4, and I never actually, I I was working next door (laughs) to these guys, and I never got to uh, talk to them. But anyway, no, I didn't work at the movies franchise when I was there. I was working on central technology, doing animation-related stuff, um, rigging technologies and stuff like that. So I was already... transitioning into more of a techie guy interested in um, anything to do with animation, procedural animation, that kind of stuff. Just working in a gaming environment. Still, you get to breathe that culture and it was great. Uh, You get to do uh, massive meetings with the whole company and Peter Molyneux telling you all sort of crazy things, (laughs) which was great. Um, And yeah, after that, my curiosity led me to VFX and movies and stuff like that. So basically, I had a big gap before being back to talking with a publisher. Um, And I I wasn't all that happy to do that, to be honest with you. Like, I'm just... Yet another guy that at some point quits his job. At this point, basically, we're talking three years ago or something. I'm teaching Unreal Engine to students, um, both game design and you know um, coding, that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm also developing games for this uh, company, uh, but more of a like a side thing. And I'm not happy with this job. And at some point, I decide. To take off this little prototype that I've done out of the drawer, which is what back then was Nauticrawl, um, back then called um, 20,000 Atmospheres. So that's why I said earlier uh, I'll get back to um, to the the title and how it came to be. Okay. So I take off this from the drawer, the prototype of Nauticroll and. I decide to quit my job and I'm setting sail to suicide just like many other indie developers are doing. Um, Basically I'm quitting my job because I'm fed up and I'm trying to risk it all. I'm going to risk it all solo developing this thing. So I start posting about it on Twitter saying, you know, quit my job, here I am doing this thing. And we're talking at this point slightly more than one year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And yet the situation that in the um, development industry is so different from today. It's amazing to think about that. It's, It's just, it's changed so much. To be honest, the noise is not that much back then. We're just talking two years. So I do this, and all of a sudden, we're talking like one week after I quit my, um, I think rock paper shotgun um, decides to write a small, you know, piece on on this prototype on on this weird thing that I'm doing. I think, whoa, maybe this can be done. And then all of a sudden, IndieGames.com goes on it as well and so this thing starts uh, doing small rounds and next thing I know is I have three not just one three publishers writing to me me about the game and whether I want to talk with them Um, I think I've been not just lucky but incredibly lucky I mean I not I cannot stress this enough I am 99% sure if I do the same thing now, so two years after that, I post a screenshot of even the most amazing game on Twitter right now, I'm not gonna get that kind of response. Um, Or let's say 50-50 chance. Um, Still, the noise now is is incredible. The, The amount of amazing releases every week is incredible. So somebody just posting one screenshot, it's, yeah, it's gonna take quite some luck to actually have people notice you. Right. Um, I think back then it was easier um, than it is now, but that's what happened. Three publishers knocking on my door, um, and basically I'm telling all of them I have no salary, I'm going solo with this, so basically whoever comes first and saves me from starvation is gonna get this thing. Because that's, that's. I, I, I like, I'm not a businessman and I, I, I like everything up from saying this. I'm not a businessman, I'm not gonna talk to these guys like a businessman because I'm just not. And again, my memory from talking with a publisher is, guys in a suit talking big words uh you know back when i was doing making games on the game boy basically it always boiled down to my game concepts being too out there to uh, basically they needed a license we're talking the year 2001 basically and they need a license they need a game. Um, So either they put Mickey Mouse on, on your game or you cannot make an original game. At least, you know, we small independent developers didn't have that much of a chance. So goes without saying, I start talking to these guys, to these three publishers, not too happy about it. I'm like you know yeah i'm 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 gonna starve in a few months, but still I'm independent, and I can see all these cool kids on Twitter. they're all independent, you know, and um I wanna be like them, so I'm not too sure having a publisher, and so I start talking to these guys, and I quickly realize things have changed a lot in the amount of time I've been away from the games they're friendly um they they don't try and diminish what you're doing they don't try and make it sound like it's a cheap thing and so they're going to try and steal it for a cheap deal they're there basically knowing that they are talking to a very delicate person working in a very delicate equilibrium and so they're just trying to do their job the best that they can so that the deal is going to be fair and that they can really support you to actually do the game so they just want to work in both uh, parties interest it was amazing um but something without games uh was always like ranking at the top like after every conversation, Armor Games would win with that one extra point. Either because they were less corporate than the guys, either because they were just quicker in replying, more direct. I don't know. You know, it's it's not like the other publishers were not as cool, as good, as whatever. It's a tuning kind of thing. So we were talking the same kind of language. I don't know um it worked it worked and um, they seemed happy to basically with this with this game um and a risk it was because if nautic roll is not that conventional but then it was probably very very deeply more weird than it
0: we 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 massaged our. The- that is that is really cool to hear. I'm I'm glad that uh, you found a publisher that you know just kind of jives with you. It it sounds like, uh, them not being, you know, those traditional corporate suits kind of people, uh, uh, has been really really good for you and, not a crawl. Um, but uh, so obviously we're here to talk about not a crawl. But before we get into the game, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about a uh, an app that you've been working on. It's called Galump, Is that right? Yeah. OK. Yeah. Uh, and it, it you can like draw in 2D and it makes stuff into 3D. And that just seems really, really nuts. And so if you could just talk about that for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so... This is gonna sound like I I can only come up with crazy stuff, but probably that's the case. <laughs> but um, it is it is kind of of a weird app. And um, so first off, the, the the reason why I'm doing it is um, I'm not entirely sure it's gonna happen, but the aim right now is to try and make my next game with this thing. So it's it's. Um, it's, quite, it's going to be quite challenging, and it's going to bring me back. It feels like it brings me back to the days when we were making games with completely 100% in-house tools for everything, for the collisions, for putting up the maps. Um, again, not that old, but I'm old enough to have witnessed working with that kind of stuff, and I think it was great. Um, it's, it's way more complicated than using a slick tool, um, like, uh, these days is Blender or Maya or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I kind of fell in love, um, with this art style, um, that technically right now is only possible if you use VR. So my main inspiration for this software comes from applications for drawing uh, free-handed in 3D space. Uh, to do that, of course, you need both of your eyes working to tell you the depth um, and the uh, six degrees of freedom controller to actually being able to track your hands in 3D space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are only two major applications like that. One is from Google and one is from Facebook. Um, And they are both incredibly good. And at some point I was like, I wanna do that, but I don't wanna have to put a headset on my face every time I need to quickly draw an asset. Like this thing is, is awesome because I can sketch something quickly Mm -hmm. And I can see it in Unity or Unreal Engine straight away. Like literally, as soon as I hit control S, the file, I see it updated in Unity. Um, So I want to also be able to just draw and go back to this application as quickly as I can see the results. So I don't want to do it in VR. Nothing wrong with those applications doing in VR. They are truly amazing. Like You guys should uh, totally Google uh, for Quill and uh, Google's Tilt Brush, and you will see amazing stuff. But I want to be able to do the same, and I want to do it without VR. And that sets me on a course that starts, I think, six months ago or something, a bit more maybe. And, um, yeah, I didn't think it was possible. I just tried. I started it, and then uh one thing after the other, I unlocked basically what I needed to do this, which is the 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 literally the the depth axis. How do you draw free-handed if you cannot express depth with a graphic tablet or a mouse? And the way around that that I found without getting too technical or anything, because if you don't see the application right now in front of you, you this is going to sound like jumbo jumbo. But basically, I let the user create some reference 3D shapes, say spheres, um, cubes, stuff like that. Um, you put them together the best that you that you can and just going very quickly and roughly and start drawing on top of this thing, but only when you decide to do that. So at some point you will be drawing on top of a sphere, but then all of a sudden you let go of the of the keyboard button that lets you do that, and you are drawing completely free-handed in three space. You move the camera and you keep doing that. And you're basically sort of, the work, the ro- mm, sorry, the workflow is like climbing on top of your own drawings. So you, say you 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 draw on top of a sphere to approximate a face then you start drawing on top of what you've been drawing before and you have a nose and then you rotate the camera front facing the face and you start drawing the ears and then you keep rotating it and you draw the the other details and so on and on and on and you keep basically hooking yourself up to a previously and for as crazy as it sounds, it turns out that you can really draw in 3D without VR, and it works. And I can, and I'm using it. I mean, I'm, sometimes I use it for a few hours, and I'm astonished my We made a 3D application that I can use to make graphics, to make games. Um, but it, it works. <laughs> uh, so I'm running a private beta right now, uh, but. It's very slow going. Um all of my efforts are on are focused on nauticroll, of course. We are close to release and um of course I'm in no position to accept um bug submissions right now for this application. It's just a toy that is there. I wanted other people's opinions. Um I wanted to start having people's feedback. Um I saw a couple of guys making some cool drawings with it, which was great, but nothing more than that right now. Okay. And yeah, I've basically decided to give myself just one spur project during the development of Nautic row, and that was it, Gallup. Um you you really risking going nuts if you go like 12 months in a row working on just one thing, especially if it's if it's a claustrophobic <laughs> um vehicle um dark gloomy it doesn't help so i needed something bright colorful
0: cheerful too right. to oh, it's distract always, nice it's always more way. fun to create than to fix and edit and make better so i i could see i could see that getting really dark just working on one thing and it not being you know, new and, and exciting at times. But then at the same time, if you let yourself create too much stuff, then you'll just never actually finish anything and you'll just have like 1200 projects that are all 10% complete.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, it's temptations every day, every day you wake up with a new idea and you're like, Ooh, (laughs) Ooh, this one looks good. And every new idea is like, Awesome. Then, yes. you know, a few hours in, you realize it's actually utterly complicated and easy as you thought. And, you know, you know, the drill. But um, yeah, new ideas, new ideas are, are awesome. Um, but no, I'm trying to stay put. And so just one spare time project. And this is it.
0: OK, very cool. All right, well let, let's uh I guess let's get into the part of the interview where we talk about the thing that, you know, is on the episode title of this episode. Uh and that is Not a Crawl, uh which yep. is coming out very soon. Uh when the podcast goes up, it should be like a week or so away. Um and um I, I said it before when uh, before the interview started, but Not a Crawl great title. Uh very not, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but very video gamey. Uh, and also I love it when I can type in the name of, excuse me, the type in the name of a video game and the video game actually shows up and is not some like super generic word. So thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: well, actually, so yeah, uh, credits where they are due. Um, I need to thank my uh, friend Ben Jones, who is the amazing artist behind the sort of um, secretive um, Petski art in this game. Um, So let's take a few step backs and explain all of that. Um, So there is this guy that I met that does amazing um, Petski art, which is like text mode art. Um, Imagine drawing only with the Commodore 64 character set. Um, on a canvas. Um, there's this guy, Ben Jones, mm-hmm. um, who is rightfully credited in this game for being the Petsky art um, artist, the one and only in this game. And um, uh, he's known on the internet by the name of Polydux. And he can truly um, kick off some... Incredible art, just with the Commodore characters. So I'm doing this game where there's only monitors and you cannot see outside. And back then it was called 20,000 Atmospheres. Um, the name Nautic Roll, is great, but I'm one of the guys that actually goes for very convoluted, um, lengthy, Titles that totally don't work on Google. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, I also named the vehicle. So the name of the game back then in my mind is 20,000 Atmospheres because it reminds you of um, Jules Verne, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And back then in my mind, this game plays as some sort of bastard. Unholy child of Dunes and Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I remember a friend of mine being horrified at this idea, but uh, that's how it played in my mind. It's like Dunes underwater, so that kind of loomy dark sci-fi, okay, mixed mixed with the with the Jules Verne kind of aesthetics and um, sort of. Uh, that kind of environment and, and storytelling so um back to um the title i'm also naming the vehicle itself a naughty Crawl. and that's the funny bit i might mispronounce my own game because because of the similarity of words to being you know naughty and Nauticroll, I will try and spell it as best as I can. Sometimes I fell into the trap myself of saying nauticrawl. um So um, the vehicle is called roll, And I'm talking to Ben, who says, you know, you should totally drop that lengthy uh, title, uh, 20,000 Atmospheres, and actually use the name of the vehicle for the game. And of course, nah. 20,000 Atmospheres. <laughs> 20- <laughs> is awesome and makes you think about Jules Verne. And there's not a chance you'll ever see it on Google. And uh, I mean, you'll you'll never actually find my game on Google, which is incredibly stupid, but back then I couldn't care less. And he's like, No, oh, please dude, Nautic Roll is awesome as a name, you should totally drop the other title. So eventually I decide to do that. So I owe him I owe it to, to Ben to actually um at the end, having decided to go for roll and now it couldn't be anything else. Um, we sort of kept, after some internal conversations with um, Armor Game Studios, we sort of kept the 20,000 atmospheres around. It's sort of there and it's not. I mean, I don't think it shows in the actual title of the um, page. Okay. And, uh, Funny enough, um, if you go on the each.io page, that page is actually called still um, 20,000 Atmospheres. Then the the big title and big characters, of course, just says article. Uh, But for historical reasons, because the each.io page was the first one that I created, uh, we kept it like that. We kept 20,000 Atmospheres. The first articles that went out on the blogs two years ago were all... The game as twenty thousand atmospheres, and yeah, I agree with uh, my friend Ben was totally right um, the best fitting title for this game is nautic roll. I think armor games studio as well uh, I was probably the only one still attached to the twenty thousand atmosphere bollocks, and so I dragged it around but um in a way, I like for people to have that sort of immediate link to Jules Verne. Sure. E- even though you're not going to find... I mean, the game has changed so much and basically there's not that much left of either Dunes or Jules Verne. It's, it's flavors, you know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that yeah, it's not like you don't get those kind of um, remarked references or cameos it's just a, a flavor that is left there but um nothing else
0: okay very cool so um i guess it, what what is not a crawl uh 20,000 atmospheres uh in you know just a short elevator pitch and then we'll get more into it but Uh, To just sum it up, what what is this game?
1: I'm really bad at describing this game. (laughs) I I always risk in overstepping with the official description we've tried to come up with for this game. Because it's it's a lot of things, but not that many, and hopefully not things that are... um, not playing well one with the other, but surely a lot of things that you don't actually see in one game at once. Um, It starts as a puzzle, like an escape room. Mm. Um, You're stealing this machine because you want to escape from your horrible situation. The game doesn't really tell you all that much. This is pretty much all it tells you. It tells you, You're desperate, you're fed up with with your life in the gutters of this uh, whatever underworld uh, planet where you live, and you're trying to attempt a desperate escape. And the only way to actually get up in the surface, what the game calls the forbidden surface, is using a nautic roll. Um, And that's it. So you know that you're about to steal these nautical. roll. You don't know why you need to go to the forbidden surface. You don't know what is the forbidden surface. You don't know why the only way to go there is with a machine. You know nothing. And the game starts. And it's full of buttons and levers and gouges. And you still know nothing. And that's how the game starts. It's, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle you need to, you need to solve. Um, but after that at some point you will turn on enough devices to actually get the thing going and you will go like oh ah cool stage one clear where is the the score no score Um, the game is now a dungeon crawler and you just started now you have to actually pilot the machine and the way I try and convince you to go through the pain of learning this thing that basically you know nothing about is via little snippets of story, lore. The game will give you, will take any chance possible from the menus to literally from the the, the star menu up until um, every time you die, um, it will... Tr- and give you small snippets of what's going on, why you're doing this thing, where you're coming from and where you're going in the hope that you will get curious and you will insist in trying to learn machine. Because after after the physical puzzler part sort of uh, runs out, you're still left with the task of learning to actually pilot this thing. Um, and while you do that, you are in fact controlling a dungeon crawler via a machine interface. And, and that's basically it. Um, so we're talking a story-driven dungeon crawler with puzzles in a escape room cockpit simulation. and this is usually where my beloved producer Sean McKenzie turns with evil eyes at me going like pitch it bright Um, I hope he's not gonna mind that I threw all these elements in there I will resist the temptation of saying the word roguelike but there is permadeath okay um it's, it's A lot of the elements of this game come from my passion for for roguelikes, narrative games, um, textual adventures. Um, but eventually we, we had to come up with a for this thing, and um, we decided to drop the term roguelike. I don't know if you've seen the war raging <laughs> on some Reddit, channels about roguelikes what is a roguelike what is not what is like a, ro- a like a roguelike like <laughs> and what's a roguelike and i never actually um wanted to call this game a roguelite because there's nothing light about this thing you die a lot um it's very hard um so it's like pretty much as hard as any hardcore roguelike but I like to think that it has a lot more sugar on top in terms of visuals it has a story most of the standard roguelikes are more like go fetch the amulet of yander and come back alive I just realized by saying this sentence I probably threw myself in the exactly what I shouldn't be, which is the roguelike hate cage. So a lot of people are going to probably comment on this saying like, no, this other roguelike totally has a story. You're just not good enough at playing it. Um, So yeah, we're totally dropping the roguelike thing, even though I'm a big, big fan of roguelikes. um, But marketing this game as a roguelike um, was probably going to be... Uh, well, You know, with this game, the, the risk, and that's why I say Sean is probably going to listen to this, looking at me with the evil eyes, because I always risk communicating this game in some misleading way. And the last thing that we want is players approaching this game going like, hey, my new roguelike that totally plays like my other roguelikes, because mm-hmm. it doesn't. Or... Uh, you know, this is my escape room game. So it's going to be about puzzles and touching all these buttons and it's going to hold my hand and tell me when I did something wrong because it doesn't completely do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are trying to be as careful as we can um, describing this game so that people approach it with the mindset. That's, I think, the crucial thing with this game. If you approach it with the right mindset and you, you know what's going to come and you know that it's not your usual this and that kind of game, then we probably have the best chance of you sticking around long enough so that you experience what I hope is a, is a nice story. Nice experience overall
0: awesome so it, it sounds like in terms of a lot of the design sensibilities it's it's kind of rooted in the classic like first person dungeon draw dungeon crawler uh because you're not it it sounds like you're not really holding the player's hand a lot it's like here you're in this situation figure it out you're gonna die and that's just kind of part of the process Um, but then it obviously has elements of other things like roguelites in that you you die and you you start over it's got permadeath and it's got escape room type things where you know you're figuring out how to pilot the mech and you've got um, these kind of big physical buttons and switches and levers and whatnot. not but that's, that's not all the game is it's not just existing in kind of this safe area and you flip Switches until you get out. Um, so it sounds like those are kind of part of it, but not what the game. That's not where the the game is rooted. Does that does that sound right? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Um. Basically, it's like um, the the end final product cannot really match any one hundred percent description of one genre per set um, as for the roots, it's totally um, me going back to the games that I loved, uh, namely um, dungeon crawlers, fantasy games uh, where you have a quest and you adventure and then you meet this shady merchant and you start trading your stuff, although there's not that much trading but there is the shady merchant um and then you die and you die again and while you do that you are basically experiencing something like a like a cockpit simulation kind of game like x-wing which was another one of my favorite games growing up which basically acts face to this old thing so my idea to put myself into a game design held that lasted one year is let's make this um, cockpit simulation game the interface to this dungeon crawler and let's not tell people how to do anything so they have to figure it out themselves, um, which turned out to be very, very hard. <laughs> people are not going to suffer as much as I envisioned originally. <laughs> So we eventually had to. Uh, I, I I talk plural in this case because um, Sean Mackenzie, the producer on this game from Armor Games Studios, um, has helped me a lot in the game design process. Um, at some point, I completely lost track of um, the the. I would say the balance, more like the the pain threshold a gamer can afford into this experience, putting into this experience. So at some point, he's been my, my guiding spirit for this thing. Um, it's a delicate process. I think they they really, really know this because they handle it in an amazing way. They will never, ever. Um, this is wrong. People are not going to like it. Change it because we're putting money on this thing. They, they just don't do that. They sit there and talk. To you, like you are going to the analyst, and go like so. Um, nobody is in your game right now because it's been. Some people are giving up. Um, what can we do to address this? Is there something you think we can do to address this? So we start a conversation um, where I try my best to not get the. And they respect my vision a lot, and from there we try and build the best solutions to let people enjoy this ultimately the mission was still clear in everybody's mind we wanted people to experience this thing Um, it's like this this awesome experience in a in a shell that is really hard to penetrate it's it's so the usual reaction is Um, we are, we have this kind, the, 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 kind of game where people are split in, in two very clear groups, this thing, and you go like, "Mm, not for me, or you start this thing and you go like, Whoa, I'm going to go nuts all over this. Um, it's, it's that kind of game that can be love or hate. And, um, uh, I've mentioned this internally uh Armour Games. I don't usually go shouting about this because it feels pretentious, but from what I've seen in interviews and uh, reviews, the game that um, suffers slash choice the exact same situation is Cultist Simulator from Alexis Kennedy. And that's been my other sort of unspoken guide through this whole year. I, I don't rave too much about it on Twitter because it would really sound ridiculous. Like, hey, I'm I'm doing a game that is like Caltis Simulator. It, it's not like Caltis Simulator at all. But I believe we've been walking a similar path where action and consequence and consequence is not immediately clear. There is that depth. depth. And there is meta progression, as in it's on you to build up the experience, to progress forward. The game is not gonna show you a pop-up saying, you just learned this skill. This is the list of skills you've learned. Next time you do this and that, and you will advance to next level. It's, it's not doing that. Reason why I still haven't finished Cultist Simulator, I still keep trying... And I still keep dying a lot, but I love it. I I love the full immersive experience. I love how it doesn't tell you how to do things. You have to do it on your own. And um, I think it's, it's really brave. It's a brave thing to do these days because we are most definitely getting used to games. There are trying to, you know, you you play this game at the end of your day. You definitely don't want to be frustrated. You want something that makes you relax. Probably your job has been very hard during the day. And so I think the kind of games that we see nowadays are sort of a response to the stressful times we live in. And both Naughty Crawl and Caltis Simulator, please excuse me for making this comparison, I swear I'm not gonna do it ever again. Sorry, Alexis, that's the one last time. Um, they both sort of take you in this experience that is not stressful per se, but it does require attention. And that's something that, uh, as it turns out, it's a lot to ask. People that had a stressful day probably just want to relax. Maybe they have a few hours in the weekend and they just want to enjoy this thing. And you're asking for a lot of attention. Because that's that's what happens when you don't show that big pop-up that says you just learned this skill. But it's cool, it's it's another way of designing a game. Um it's um I think the 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 outcome of this is that once you do that thing that the game designer had in mind, once you clear between quotes that part of the game that mission, and still the game doesn't tell you, but it shows you gratitude in one way or another. Not necessarily with a cutscene, but something progresses, a new bit of lore is 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 revealed to you. Uh, in the case of Nauticroll, maybe the the um, the vehicle starts shape shifting into something else you totally didn't expect at that point. you feel bloody great hmm. um the only tricky part is how the players there and that's that's the the effort we've been putting in this game for the last year really um and holding people but um trying to let them stick to the experience because we ultimately believe it's worth it. Cool. That
0: uh, that sounds very very complex. That is. <laughs> <laughs> I hope um... I didn't scare anybody away. Uh... So um just out of curiosity, so when the game starts, you, you have to figure out how to get the, the Nauticrawl going. Uh, when you die, you start the game over again. Is it back at the very beginning and you, like, now you just know how to get it going? Or does it kind of start post you've got the Nauticrawl running?
1: Um, so there are a few tricks that we've employed to um, sort of give you some hints. Uh, When you restart, you are dead. You are a completely different fugitive. Okay. um, Stealing yet another nautical and trying to uh, do the same thing. Guy before you did. Um, Just like in um, Below from Capybara, Uh, You can pick yourself back up. That's one way to try and ease the progression on on this game. Okay. Um, But that's only possible if you do certain things. Um, Because eventually, I cannot spoil anything, of course, but eventually you'll get far away. So if you don't get that one thing that brings your vehicle back to the start point... You will literally start from scratch because you're gonna, you don't have a previous self to pick up. Um, And I think, well, below kind of is the same. Um, At some point, if you die on a very far away level, on a distance of the dungeon, it becomes really tricky to go and pick yourself back up. This game kind of employs a mechanic so that it, it gets easy to pick yourself back up. But even that is a puzzle to solve um and as for the progression um without spoiling too much uh what i can say is that when you restart some stuff might go wrong with your vehicle but in doing that um you will actually learn insights about the vehicle okay um it might have a malfunction every now and then, and that malfunction will actually force you to stop everything and learn that one system that was uh, causing your death, basically. And that proved to be really helpful for the players, because at some point you are dying out of this thing that you're doing wrong, and the game sort of forces you to acknowledge that, that happened because of a reason, and without breaking immersion, tells you what, what the re, what was the reason.
0: That, um, I don't know. This the, the game is sounds really interesting, but it's also really hard to to wrap your head around. Um, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> um, as far as piloting the uh is it are are you controlling everything in real time? Is it turn based? How does all of that function?
1: It's both. Okay. Um, of course, by now, <laughs> you know that you're not going to get a straight answer. <laughs> <laughs> and the turn-based nature of the game is completely obfuscated, is hidden. Okay. And that's a game to know immersion. Um, you're not going to get a pop-up that says your turn is over. Enemy's turn like Advanced Wars, which I love. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, It's not gonna happen. Basically, it will play like a turn-based dungeon crawler in the radar of this thing. So you're in fact controlling what looks and feels like a dungeon crawler. It's not um, grid-based, but um, you have controls inside this machine that basically determines how quickly your turns are um, taken. It's a steam-powered machine, so the more more power you deploy to the engine to build that pressure, the faster you will be able to take a turn after another. Hmm. And you are piloting a big chunk of heavy metal, as big as a house almost, in an almost deserted land. As for why, the game will tell you later on. But that's the situation. It's, it's almost completely deserted, but there are sentinels that for some reason don't want people like you roaming about in this place. So it's fully guarded and there are creatures. Sometimes the sentinels will take on the creatures for you because at the end of the day, they are natural enemies for everybody up there. Um, but the situation, basically, the the, the natural order of things in this, in this place is that generally nothing moves. Whenever something moves, the whole world reacts. It's like this place tries and preserve energy by only moving when something moves, both creatures and sentinels. Because it's so deserted, these creatures and these automized, uh, um, automized um, mechanical beings only know how to recognize stuff that moves. And there you have your turns. Every time you move, the world activates and bad stuff happens.
0: Interesting. I I really appreciate the um you know, taking a game mechanic and applying it to world lore. I always love it when stuff happens like that. So that that sounds really neat. Mm-hmm. Um so so obviously there there is like some sort of combat in the game with you fighting uh the uh the creatures and the the sentinels and everything. Is it are you Are you getting new weapons for the Nauticrawl? Are you finding that there are new weapons you didn't know about that are already attached to it? Uh, Can you buy them from... Because it it sounds like uh, from the game description there's also some other characters that you might come across. Are you getting side quests or anything like that? I know that that's like seven questions in one, but (laughs) you're giving me like seven answers for one question, so I'm just going to flip the table on you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I will not
0: be able to spoil too much of the game
1: because, um, because of the peculiar nature of this game, we cannot make it too lengthy or complicated in terms of quests. Okay, it's going on already, that the last thing that you want is being told to go back like five steps. Um, from where you came from in order to do this and that so that you can accomplish this other and this other thing. Sure. Um, it's like the for this game totally allows for that, but there was only so much data that we can push inside somebody's brain. <laughs> so we tried and keep this to a minimum, and yet keep it interesting. So yes, there are quests, but they are not heavy. Um, They are not particularly convoluted. Um, And there are people that you encounter, but not many. Uh, And they play play a fundamental role, both in terms of unlocking progression and story, but it's definitely not gonna feel like a combat game for a long while. I mean long while with this game doesn't last very long it's not a it's not a lengthy game. once you figure um, things start progressing much much faster and um, at some point you might discover some hidden abilities of this machine that will keep shifting in terms of functionalities and stuff that it can do. But for most of it, it will more feel like a stealth kind of game, Mm -hmm. kind of the submarine-ish atmosphere that you inside that thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not particularly inclined on weapon-based kind of games. it's a game mechanic that is there. It works for this kind of game, but it's not central. It's It adds more on the puzzles, on the escape room kind of puzzles than it does on actually you being a good shooter with fast reflexes. There's none of that going to be needed. Gotcha. Did I give you a single answer that made some sort of sense or was (laughs) simple enough to form a concept about about this game or am I being so cryptic that
0: No you're doing great. (laughs) Um since you since you die so much in this game, is is the world procedural at all or is the the escape route, essentially, that you're, you're taking, is it always the same?
1: It's fully procedural. Okay. There's the sort of a reason that the story encompasses and tells you later. Um, and, and I know even that it needed to be. This is more to do with my fixation for Dungeon Crawlers, roguelikes in particular, Um, but it is, it is fully procedural. Um, so you, at least you get to experience like a whole lot of new confusion every time you restart the game.
0: (laughs) Very cool. Um, and I, I guess kind of my last question about the game itself. Um, this seems like a ridiculous thing to ask because you're one person making a game, but but looking at the, the trailer and the, the screenshots for this game, it seems like it would be really cool to play in VR where you're, like, physically, you know, flipping switches and moving levers and stuff like that. Is that at all a possibility in the future? It's a... I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but, but
1: we are all very conscious of what you just said. Um, we know that if there is one game that can basically give you a dungeon crawling, top down dungeon crawling experience in VR, this is it. And it's probably not going to happen that easily ever again because it just, the format by nature doesn't fit VR, but with this game it does. And we are conscious that it could totally rock in VR. As for the VR, um, it's, we'll see. Um, it's a tricky one.
0: Sure, sure. Um, yeah, okay. So I think that does it for my questions about the game itself. And now we're, uh, now we're going to get into the end game, which is probably my favorite section of the show. And now you, you can no longer give cryptic answers. These have to be... <laughs> I'll try my best. Um, so the, the first question is very simple, but it's also very difficult. And that is, who's your favorite video game character? This can be hero, it can be a sidekick, it can be a villain, it can be whoever. Uh, but who is your favorite video game character?
1: Um, well, without thinking too hard... I might regret this answer but I, I think it's Super Mario Bros.
0: Both of them it's, Together or just Mario?
1: Um yeah, like the the, the, the whole package, okay. like let's throw Princess Peach in the whole lot as well. Um yeah, the the, the kind of new crafted super polished experience. Um, so yeah, I would say Mario. Um among the whole lot. I'm sure I'm gonna regret this that's in a few. In a, after after this, <laughs> after we, we drop the call.
0: <laughs> that's okay. when When we when we talk about your next game, we'll ask similar or different questions, <laughs> and you can change it. We, we we can always go back and and change things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So next question: If you could replay any video game uh, again for the first time. So you get to see it with fresh eyes. Uh, you get to have that first experience again. You don't have to worry about it aging poorly or anything like that. Uh, but if you could play any video game again for the first time, what would it be? Monkey Island. Mm, okay. It. It's, in my
1: mind, playing it as a kid, it, it's, it's a book. It's a movie. Um, it's a video game, of course, it's everything. Like it's one of my fondest memories that I have. Then I had a heck of a lot of fun with other games like I mentioned, roguelikes and um, uh, space simulators like X-Wing, but one game that I just can, I I just dream to be able to play with fresh eyes like I never played it before, it's Monkey Island.
0: Did you uh did you ever have to call the the LucasArts helpline to get through it or were
1: embarrassingly, I called the Nintendo guys for Zelda Link to the Past oh. once. <laughs> I couldn't get to the desert area. Okay.
0: They um... were
1: really nice. <laughs> I think I think that phone call must have put my parents In great troubles for the whole year. They were super expensive to go.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I I thankful. I had older brothers, so I I never. um, Ha! I I would have had, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was terrible at video games as a child, and so I would always play, you know, half an hour of a game, or you know, get through a few levels, and then I'd, I'd just pause it. I would go get my. My older brothers so and I would hand them the controller and sit there and watch them play video games, and that that was my Nintendo helpline. <laughs> great, that's convenient. Uh, it was, it was, it was great. Uh, okay, so next question is kind of similar to the last one. If you could forget a game and come to it for kind of a, a second chance, so if it's a game that you you know played and dropped off of, or maybe you played it and it was just at a bad time in your life, so you have kind of some bad connotations with it. Any number of scenarios could happen with this, but if you... If it's a game that you want to give that second chance, but you want to kind of forget that first chance. What would you like well, it to be? Well,
1: um, that's going to have to be um, Rogue. Um, I mean, it's kind of a... Uh, it's kind of a... It's not the best answer because I did enjoy Rogue in my late years. Okay. And uh, so I did actually come back to that game. And I didn't enjoy it as much as a kid. I think it's fair because it was cryptic and weird and very dark and... um, and yeah, it's another game that I would totally love to re-experience one more time with fresh eyes. Um, these days when I want to come back to that kind of uh, genre, uh, one game that I can play over and over again and always gives me new ideas also for designing the roguelike a part of Nauticroll, that game would be um, Brogue. Which is a great, great modern uh, interpretation of the roguelike genre.
0: You say brogue? Brogue, yeah, with a B. Okay. I don't, I don't think I'm familiar with that. Is it's that...
1: super cool. Um, it,
0: it's all
1: ASCII characters with funky colors, so okay. it might put off some people initially. But once you get into it, it's actually very easy to get going. And then it punishes you incredibly hard, like two levels deep. But <laughs> to get into it, it's actually very, very easy. Okay. So it's actually one of the best um, uh, games to get into the genre if you want to start uh, with roguelikes that are you know, considered a bit more on the hardcore side. But then again, it's only hardcore in appearance. Hardcore, sorry. In appearance than in gameplay. Gameplay is very, very modern.
0: Okay, very cool. Very cool. All right. Next question is completely changing the, uh, the topic, but what, what is a good trend in video games uh, that you like and would like to see more of? Um, so, we, I mean, we've kind of talked about some stuff that, that you like and dislike in the, the industry uh, throughout the podcast but what is what's something that you wish you saw more of in the industry or in or in video games in general
1: So my brain tends to be the pessimistic kind so a lot of bad things Well
0: that's that's the next I question mind, so you can't but... you can't do that yet that's Okay. Awesome. <laughs> you have to go good. You have to go positive. You are
1: you are good negative side of the brain. But <laughs> let's let's give some room to the positive one. Um it's definitely the, the way we are moving away from um, being um, stuck on genera- genres and formulas and franchises. Basically, it's going to cover the next question. It's everything that is good right now with this industry, is also everything that makes it anything goes I was able to make a game like Nautic World and this to me is fantastic Um, uh, I think a few years ago uh, we uh, we needed to be a bit more to stay a bit more put, try and give people something they are more familiar with. These days uh, there are a lot of conventions and uh, blog sites, I mean, you are interviewing me right now, so that proves it. Um, there is a lot of uh, for people trying to do something new, and that's fantastic. It brings you back to what I said at the beginning um, of this podcast, which was I was talking to the publishers, and they were like, if I can put a franchise on your game, then good, otherwise it doesn't work. Um, there's none of that now, right? And it's totally gonna bring me to your next question.
0: (laughs) So, so what's what's bad in the industry then, or bad in video games? All of that. All of that.
1: (laughs) The the entry barrier to this business is so low Mm. that, I mean, I, I it's not really just to pimp up my own game and keep talking about it. But I will bring again Nauticroll as an example. Um, with Nauticroll, not only I wanted to do something that totally pleased myself as a gamer, um, but I also wanted to do stood away from the crowd. Yet um, during development it became apparent that this game needed to some generic rules in this industry. People expect X, Y, and Z coordinates when playing a game. You cannot totally disorient them. So that's the hard part. It's an incredibly crowded market. So you want to stand somehow um, on your own, trying to differentiate your game from the others. But at the same time, if you do that too much, you are completely out. People are not understand what you're doing. And God knows, I know that Naughty world is right on the edge of that fine line. Um, still, I'm incredibly proud of the work that we've been all doing on that, me and Armor Games Studios, because we've been walking that line. It's, it's been a brave thing to do and, I think uh, it's paying off in the end economically, yet of course, but in terms of the final product, um, we're all very proud of it, but hell, it's hard to do something that stands out, but at the same time, doesn't stand out too much from the crowd, so you, you're you still there, but you're different. Mm. There's so many games, and there's so many good games. Um, I'm I- as I try and finish this actually play all the amazing stuff that is coming up. There's so much good stuff. So this is the good and the bad of this industry. It's become anything goes and I love it. But at the same time as somebody that works in this industry and tries to feel out of that um, this is also the downside. Anything goes. So there's a lot of noise there's a lot of incredibly good paid free cheap and expensive games this everything literally so it's confusing um for people and you need to be loud and probably the the hardest part for us developer in this situation is just after you've done a good game um just getting the game in front of people that can be the most frustrating part I, into France that released amazing games. Eons of Sands is the one that comes to my mind. It's such an incredible mix between a dungeon crawler, game book, choose your adventure kind of game, and it's so polished and so good. And yet the struggle these guys are going through to push the game in front of people without a publisher behind them to do that, it's, wow, it's a lot of
0: work what what was that game i haven't aeons of sands yeah okay i haven't even heard of that. That's, that that's <laughs> amazing <laughs> okay. it's one of my
1: fa uh, of my favorite games that released i think uh, i think it was
0: 2018 okay very cool all right uh so again completely shifting gears for the question uh you have You've worked in the games industry, you've worked in the film industry, you're back making video games. Uh, but if there was any other profession that you would like to try, uh, this is just pure speculation, not assuming that anything <laughs> bad were to happen that meant you had to find a new <laughs> profession, uh, but if you could just get to do anything else, what would you like to do?
1: Um, I don't think there's much left there when I to try. <laughs> <laughs> Um... I I hope I can stick around to designing and making games. Um, all this bouncing between one thing and another definitely uh, made sort of, um, you know, a, a hard-to-pin-down kind of professional figure, which is great and is scary because if I'm to send a CV to a company, they want me to be just good at that one thing Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I want to stick around to the game design side of things and try and be as good and not too weird (laughs) as I can about it and um, I don't think I want to even think about doing uh, anything else. I'm sure it's, there's going to be times where side jobs are going to be needed and in that case uh, I'm lucky enough to have a uh, good experience on the um, movies side of things pipelines and 3D production and that kind of stuff. But I left it all behind for a reason um, so really hoping that I can stick um, on this one thing which is making games but yeah, no, I wouldn't try anything new. I mean, I'm, I am i had enough. <laughs> I, I just want to settle on one thing. Thank you.
0: Excellent. All right. And so final question. Uh, you somehow, inexplicably, get to meet the Mario brothers. What question would you ask them, and what is their response?
1: Come fate a tenervi quei baffi così perfetti? A me non mi vengono così.
0: Translation, please. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so, given the assumption that they still speak some Italian after all these years in Japan, <laughs> I just asked them how they managed to take care of their moustaches so well.
0: And how do they respond? How do they take care of their moustaches so well? Damn, I get
1: to get them to talk. Yes. Um, yes, I, wouldn't I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't I think that's a mystery. This gonna, it's gonna stay this way. Nobody's gonna ever know how they take care of their mustaches.
0: Uh, so They're they, they just they smile knowingly and, and smile, never smile. <laughs> and
1: I will forever, forever wonder if they truly speak Italian or not. It, it, this thing is gonna haunt me forever, actually. <laughs> I just gave myself a nightmare
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic Well Andrea thank you so much For sitting down and chatting with me About Not A Crawl Uh, You've got just a little more time Before the game gets out there In the open for people to get their hands on Hopefully this conversation has Given them a good idea for kind of what This crazy experience Is going to be but if you could send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about the game and when they can pick it up.
1: Yeah, the game is coming up on the 16th of September on Steam and itch.io, and um, so they can go there. Um, or they can look up the game through the website, which should be www.nauticrawlgame.com, I think, uh, or nauticrawl.com, I don't know. There is, just so you know, you will probably just find, as mentioned, um, Nauticrawl on Google if you Google it up. But do keep going to the other pages, because at some point you will bump into the Nauticroll which I do not own. I just think that it's awesome that there is a pub named like this game.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. All right, well, thanks again. And uh, there will be links for all that stuff in the show notes to this page. And uh, again, best of luck as you finish up the game. And I hope we can chat again when you're ready to talk about your next thing.
1: Thank you so, so much, Jonathan. Thank you for this space.